Well, I don't know if you know this, but when you teach the Word of God, one of the things that regularly happens to you is you experience what you're teaching the week before. So when we went through 6, you know, I was learning how to live in victory, Romans 6. Um, and that was that kind of a week. Romans 7, that was a tough week, you know, because it's how to recover from defeat. So I had to go through that. So I was really glad to get to Romans chapter 8. Here's, here's what I would say. If you struggle with guilt, read Romans 8. If you struggle with sin, read Romans 8. If you're going through trials, read Romans 8. If you don't know how to pray, read Romans 8. If you're struggling with the assurance of your salvation, if you're not sure that God has his hand on you and loves you dearly, read Romans 8. And then for Linda and I, if you are packing up and moving after living in a house for 17 years, read Romans 8. Why? You want to save a lot of money on therapy and counseling? Read Romans 8. It's that kind of uh, chapter. Here's how it starts. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and one writer says, the beginning of Romans 8 is no condemnation. The end of Romans 8 is no separation. And between the beginning and the end, the middle is all about no defeat. Remember when we were looking at seven last week? What was the pronoun that was used extensively? What did Paul say? I, me, myself, 40 times. <laughs> And, and he was going through deep water. And he was telling us how to get through that. Well, all that changes in Romans 8. In, in Romans chapter 8, the prominent person is the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit is mentioned in this chapter 18 times. Let me give you just a simple outline of the book and I really want to land on Romans 8:28 through 30 especially. But I want to cover this chapter quickly for you. The first part, the first 13 verses, it's all about justification. We've talked about that. The three stages, the three movements of our salvation, the gospel, the good news, is first justification. Typically when we say to people, have you been saved? We should be saying, have you been justified? Have you made peace with God? Has God lifted his wrath from you? So the first 13 verses focus on first justification, and then it focuses on salvation. And here's what you read. God's salvation through Christ 
and his indwelling spirit give us life to overcome judgment and sin. We never have to worry about judgment ever again. And that's really, really important. Satan uses, Satan uses guilt in many believers' lives. And, and it holds them back. It keeps them away from God. It makes them fruitless in their life. There is guilt. There's a good kind of guilt. But, but it's not the guilt of condemnation. It's not, it's not the guilt of the sinner or forensic guilt. It's not like standing before a judge. The guilt that we should feel is the loss of fellowship. It's, it's when my father and I are not in tune with each other and I'm the person that caused it. That's a good kind of guilt. But, but please, please, as a child of God, do not let the guilt of condemnation come into your life. And, and remember this. The devil will speak those words. I can't believe you did that. You can't be a Christian. That's why you need to read verses 1 through 13 of Romans chapter 8. The next next part of the chapter is all about adoption. God assures us of our adoption as his children and heirs in verses 14 through 17. Here's what's interesting. When Paul writes to Gentiles about being in the family of God, he he tells them that they have been adopted into the family of God. When he writes to Jews, like John 3, three, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, uh, he tells them, you have to be born into the family. And sometimes people say, so what is it? Am I born into the family, or am I adopted? Here's the good news of the Word of God. Both. We have been born from above. Here's the wonderful thing about adoption that you may not know. In the Roman world, and that's why Paul uses the word adoption in Ephesians and Galatians and here in Romans, the reason he uses that is because adoption in the Roman world, you could adopt a son and they gained all the rights of the family. And here's, here's the unusual thing about adoption in the Roman world. You, you could never be disowned. Isn't that amazing? Like, like, you could disown a child born into your family, but Roman law prohibited you. If you adopted a child, that child was in your family forever, and, and they had the full rights of a genuine born-into-the-family child. In the book, Ben-Hur, subtitled, A Tale of the Christ, uh, Judah Ben-Hur, who was Jewish, had been imprisoned on a Roman galley ship as a rower. When the ship sinks in battle, Judah escapes and saves the life of a Roman commander, Arius. Arius' only son had been killed, and he ultimately adopts Judah, who is pardoned for his supposed crimes. He's also given a new name. His new name is 
young Arius. And he has all the rights of the new name and of the inheritance. In the scene where the adoption is announced, Arius takes off his ancestral signet ring and gives it to young Arius. Young Arius says that he has received, listen to this, a new life, a new home, and a new father. That's what happened to us when God adopted us into his family. We were given a whole new life, a whole new future home, a glorious home, and a new father. God is our father. And then verses 18 through 30, we move to the third part of the book, and it's about glorification. It's about being glorified. Although we and all creation now suffer, and these verses talk about how, how everything groans, God will guarantee that he will bring us to final glory. No matter what, no matter what life is like today, we can look forward to final glory. Here's how it breaks down. Verses 18 through 25, our present sufferings do not compare to our future glory. So whatever you're going through today, no matter how down you are, that is, that's going to be how high you go. Nothing, nothing you're going through today can compare with what your future is going to be like. Verses, eight, or verses 26 through 27 is all about, in our weakness, the Spirit prays for us. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I have. Sometimes, in fact, this week this happened. My wife and I had, had something happen to someone that we love. And, and I honestly, we looked at each other and, and I said, I know I should pray, but I don't even know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. You know what Romans 8.26 says? The Spirit prays for us in ways that only He, he examines our heart. He examines our very being. He knows everything that's going on. And He knows just the right thing to present to the Father so that, so that the Father can send strength and power and assurance and comfort. So He prays. He intercedes for us. And then God will work all things together. This is where I want to land. This is what I want to go over. Verses 28 through 30. God will work all things together for our good. For our good. Because His sovereign purpose for His elect will bring us to glory. That's, that's the point. Everything that you're going through, God is weaving everything in your life and, and He's bringing you to, you, you to the place where you will be like His Son. You will be conformed to the image. This is one thing I did say to the Lord this week. I said, Lord, whatever you have to do, no matter how much it hurts, conform me to the image of Your Son. That's what I want more than anything else. 
And then finally, we're going to read this this morning at the end. In verses 31 through 39, we get assurance. No attack or hardship can separate God's people from His great love. So that's the, that's the breakdown of the chapter. I want to go through Romans 8, 28 through 30. Can you put that up? All right. This, these are very comforting words. These are strengthening words. Douglas Moo paraphrases these verses this way. He says, We know that all things are working for good for those of us who love God. And we know this is so because we who love God are also those who have been summoned, what, what the text says, called by God to enter into relationship with Him. A summons that is in accordance with God's purpose. And what is that good? What is that purpose that God has? Here's what it is. To mold us into the image of Christ and to glorify us someday. So, so when you're going through those struggles, this is one of the things you should know. His power, <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 12, His power is perfected in weakness. And I want His power. And I want to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That ultimately has to be what life is all about. Does God do good things for us? Yes. Does He bless us? Does He take care of us? Does He make life pleasant? Sometimes comfortable? Yes. But that's not the goal. That's not even the goal of heaven. Eternity is not a place. It's not a destination. Eternity is, is an activity. In, it's a place where people will gather around Jesus regularly and make Him preeminent as the Father has made Him preeminent. And that's, that's what God is doing. That is the good that He's doing. That's how He is working all things so that whatever I'm going through, it's going to eventually lead to me giving honor and praise and glory to Jesus Christ. To understand and apply Romans 8.28, we need to think through four truths. And let me go through them. Here's the first one. God has an eternal purpose. God has an eternal purpose. And not only does He have a purpose, He is able to accomplish His purpose. When God, before the creation of everything, God had a purpose in mind for us and for all of His creation. And, and He can pull it off. He has the power. He has the resources to do it. Think about this. Lynn and I, over the next year, are probably going to be building a house. <laughs> building our last house, we hope. You know what we're going to do? We're going to employ an architect. 
we're going to employ a builder. But before we do any of that, we need to make sure that we have the resources to pull that off. If a man is going to do anything of significance, build a house, start a company, or take a trip, he has a purpose and a plan to accomplish that purpose. Now listen to this, because people wonder, is God in control? You look sometimes at the world the way it is, and you say, does God know what's going on? Is he aware of the struggles in this life? It's unthinkable, it's absolutely unthinkable to imagine that the sovereign God created the universe with no purpose or no plan to achieve that purpose. It was everything that's happening. Everything. All the good, all the bad, everything. God is weaving it all together. And he has a very specific purpose. And, and no one, no one, no angel, no demon, no human being, no king, no country, no power, nothing and no one can thwart God's purpose and plan. Did you hear that? Nobody is going to change God's plan. He has a plan. And he has a purpose. Number two, God's eternal purpose, this is where we come in, includes calling to salvation a people for himself. In 2 Timothy 1.9, Paul says that God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So, so your salvation, yes, it's for you, but it's not about you. <laughs> it's for God's purpose. It's for God's plan. And His plan is to make His Son the first, the first of all creation, the first, the first brother of all creation. Not that, not that He was created, but that He is preeminent. In our text, Paul describes those for whom God works all things together for good, as those who love God. All things aren't working together for everybody. <laughs> it's only for those who love God. Those who love God, who are called. The moment that you came to Christ, do you understand that that was a calling? You know the word vocation? The word vocation means calling. That's what it means. You're called into something. You were called into the family of God. That is your primary vocation. Number three, God's purpose for those whom he calls to salvation is their ultimate eternal good. Listen to this. All things includes the good things that God gives us. But it also includes the sufferings of this present time, as well as tribulation, distress, 
persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword. It includes all big catastrophes and terrible accidents, tornadoes, tsunamis, wars, plane crashes, and all the big bad stuff that happens in life. But it also includes the minor frustrations of life, traffic jams, daily hassles, problems at work, car trouble, relational problems, and just downright discouraging situations. All things. And then finally, number four. Knowing that God is working all things together for our good brings great comfort in the midst of difficult trials. You need to memorize as much as you can of Romans 8. You need to spend time in Romans 8. It's, it's kind of like our family uh, chapter. It may be the greatest chapter in the Bible. That's what it's been called. And, and you and I can be comforted in profound ways when we understand and we recognize and we affirm that no matter what we're going through, our Heavenly Father has a purpose for us in it. And I prayed this prayer through the week. I prayed this prayer. Lord, this is difficult right now. But please conform me to the image of your Son. Paul doesn't say, and we feel. You know, in verse 26, it says, sometimes we don't know how to pray. Verse 28 says, we know that all things work together for good. He doesn't say, we feel or we hope in the sense of uncertainty. But he says we know. Why can we know that God is working all things together for our good? It's back to what we said. Because God has an eternal purpose. And that eternal purpose included our salvation. And He will accomplish His purpose. He has predestined us. It's already been decided for God's people. He has predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. And nothing, nothing can change His sovereign will. One of my personal heroes is Johnny Erickson Tata. You know who she is? At 17 years of age, she was athletic, swimming, and she jumped into a lake and paralyzed. She hit her head and paralysis from the neck down. That was at 17. Now she's in her 60s. You know what she did? She started a ministry for disabled people. Now that she's in her 60s, guess what's happened to her? She has cancer. You know what she's doing? 
she's ministering to other cancer patients. If you ask Johnny Erickson Tata, was it worth it? Oh, yeah. Why? Why? Well, God has used my brokenness for his glory. And he is conforming me into the image of his son. Would you put up now that whole passage going back to verse 28? And I'm going to have you folks stand. And I want you to read along with me out loud, okay? So I'll lead, starting in verse 28. And we know, come on, you've got to join me. And we know, let's try it one more time. Some of you are shy. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a tough chapter, but it wasn't written for theologians. It was written for the Christians in Rome, that church in Rome. And you know what was happening to them? They were being persecuted. They were being thrown into prison. They they were being put to death in terrible, terrible ways. So Paul writes this to them, and he says, 
all things work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are the called, the summoned, the ones, the ones that, that He planned before creation itself, that they would be part of His family. And He's arranging every event in every one of our lives so that, so that we get to that place that He has planned. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this wonderful chapter, this chapter of hope. And we ask, Lord, that I know that there are people here this morning and on Facebook listening that are going through struggle and they don't know why. I pray, Lord, that You would comfort them Comfort them with your word. I pray, Lord, that they would be empowered, they would be strengthened, and I pray, Lord, that they would be conformed. In Jesus' name, amen.